Hi, I'm Shelby Sapusik from Color Casters, and I'm here with my business partner, Jim Raffle. Say hi, Jim. Hello, everyone. I want to, we want to welcome you to this episode of the Dye Subcast, which we think is simply the best place to get information about dye sublimation printing. We talk with equipment managers, consumable manufacturers, dye sublimation producers, and we share our own experience from running a dye sublimation business. So it really doesn't matter if you are new to dye sublimation or you're a seasoned professional with decades of experience. We're hoping that there's something here for you. So today we're going to talk with Mary Song. She's the color manager at Tectonics. We met Mary when she attended one of our color management boot camps through Printing United Alliance, and she's gone on to leverage that into a new job with a lot more responsibility. Today, she manages color on some of the largest dye sublimation printing equipment out there and in multiple locations. So welcome, Mary. We're glad that you're here. We appreciate you being here. Um, can you tell us a little bit about your background? And we'll let you just kind of take it and then we'll, we'll introduce some questions. Sure. Thank you for that great introduction. Um, yes, my name is Mary Song. Um, I work at Tectonics over in the Auburn Hills, which is our headquarters. I've been in the printing industry for about 10 years or so. Uh, I started with color management. Basically, I was a photographer. Um, that's what I went to school for. And I just didn't like how people were printing my work. So I started learning color management and printing through that. I've worked in um, multiple facilities, everything from screen printing to fine art reproductions and now textile dye sublimation. So that is my newest challenge, I guess I could say, but it's been a lot of fun and it's really cool to see technology advance the way that it has. That's a good introduction to one of the last questions we're going to ask you too, um, when we talk about trends. So let's start, you work with large printing equipment. Do you find that you face different color management challenges than someone with say a smaller 25 inch wide or desktop equipment? Oh, absolutely. As soon as you start getting bigger, there's more challenges with just the technology that it is. Space has to be bigger, so you have to control the environment a lot more. That's, you know, the, one of our biggest hurdles, especially right now, our headquarters is in the Midwest. So, you know, we have a lot more extreme seasons and our other facilities in Vegas, which they're a little bit more consistent, but they're a lot more dry than ours. So trying to keep consistency between both facilities is really key. Um, when you talk about large format or grand format, which is what we work in versus like a 24 inch wide, there's a lot, you have to control a lot more um, from the paper itself, what you can and can't use the inks, the manufacturers, you have to really talk with them and see how they make their ink consistency. We're looking at gallons or liters versus a cartridge, which can circulate. So ink separations and starting into all that. So it's, it's very different. Um, it just exponentializes everything. It's definitely a challenge and it's definitely rewarding in the end. Well, and, and I think it's, it's probably fair to say that a single print head in one of your machines probably costs more than many 24 inch and smaller printers. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> So you're, and uh, some of our printers have, our largest printer has 16 heads. And yeah, that's, that's a pretty penny. So. And you brought up something in that answer that we haven't really discussed in our other episodes of this podcast, how the environment in your printing room, wherever it might be, or your facility can, you know, your humidity, uh, it can really affect how, the way the ink lays down. Oh, absolutely. It changes uh 
you know, everything from the paper, how it absorbs, how it stays flat to the actual print heads being able to print consistently, you know, have enough viscosity to allow it to perform the way that it should. So one thing actually that I learned from taking the class was being able to measure the temperature. I mean, we measure a color, but Measuring temperature and humidity was huge for us. I have sensors where I can see Vegas right now and I can see ours. I can tell us, you know, I, I write all this stuff down when I'm actually profiling. So I know how the printer is in the environment that it is. Um, and with that information, when I go to verify a couple of weeks, a couple of months later, I can say, okay, the environment change is that affecting our colors that affecting our performance and having that in a digital format is really helpful. Yeah, you're like me. Whenever I'm profiling, I have to write everything down and I keep record of it so that I can go back and say, hey, is this the right, you know, temperature? Is this the right humidity? So I appreciate that. That makes sense. So you do a lot of different color profiles. I'm imagining you have different fabrics and transfer paper combinations. So do you create a custom profile for each one or how do you handle that? And do you create them for your different facilities? Yes and yes. <laughs> um, so yes, I create custom profiles pretty much for everything that we do. Um, you know, it does depend on, you don't want to create too many profiles because after a while, you, it, it, I don't want to say it comes monotonous, but it's not necessary. You know, you profile what you need, but you have to watch for like white points, especially when it comes to dye sub because the white point changes from the material itself to after it's been uh, heat treated. So being able to, kind of calculate for that um on top of that you know we have different facilities and because they have different machines they have a different heat press that changes everything you know we have the time you know one's manual one's more of an electronic version and now actually within the next couple weeks we're going to have two no three more heat presses in our auburn hills facility that i have to account for so it just Every time you add a new piece of equipment, you have to account for that and test it and verify it. So yeah, I, I do a lot of custom profiling and verification and then reprofiling. I like what oh. you said though. I mean, in some cases, if you have a, I, I would imagine if you have a similar uh, fabric or whatever it is, you know, you can say, yeah, this is similar enough where I can use or at least try out this profile I made before for something that was similar. And we have to remember that when we're doing profiling and we have profiles, you know, all of those have to be maintained. So you don't want to have so many so that all you're doing is maintaining them. <laughs> yes. So I have a, I have a quick question, Mary. I know we've communicated over the last few weeks about some unique challenges you have, you know, here during the COVID pandemic. I know you used to travel frequently to the other facility to make profiles and now you you're doing it remotely. And how does that look? Oh, it's uh, I would much rather travel. <laughs> um, but that's just me. I'm a jet setter, but you know, you really got to get the other facilities involved. And I have, I have certain people that I work with and I trust them a lot. Some have more color experience, not necessarily saying that they can profile and, you know, verify and all that stuff, but they have an eye where they can say, Hey, when they print something out, they're like, Hey, this looks wrong. Let's take a look at the numbers again. So right now I'm reprofiling actually our Vegas facility. So it's a constant balance between us, you know, making sure that they can get through production, but then giving them a good profile at the same time. So they'll send me, you know, charts. I read them in, I, I export all the data put into their rip and then they send it back to me. So 
it's a lot of back and forth, but it's far worth it to be able to at least do that instead of them just, you know, being on their own. So you actually do, you're actually doing the profiling work, the, you know, the actual, I guess the, the act of measurement and linearization and all of those things, you're doing those remotely and they're just, they're printing files for you, packing them up and shipping them to you on printed. Yeah. Okay. And so it's being done over multiple days. So you're, you're invited. The reason I wanted to get to that was that circles back to your environmental, the importance of your environmental monitoring and ultimately control is that if you're building that profile over multiple days, it's probably helpful to know that you have a similar environment on the day you linearize as the day you print the characterization chart. Oh, absolutely. Okay. Yeah, it's extremely important. I, I watch for that and they also have access to it. So if they see that there's something wrong, you know, we have humidifier systems built in our facilities. So they'll uh, adjust for that. Yeah, I know Jim has done some remote profiling for people and he's expressed to me that, you know, it's obviously more of a challenge, you know, you'd much rather be there, get a profile done in a day than, you know, mailing samples to measure. I mean, that's got to be hard. But what other, I mean, I know that's one of your color challenges right now with what's going on in the world. What other color challenges do you face on a daily basis? Oh, there's many. At the end of the day, you know, you still have to get stuff out the door. So that's the hardest part is like being able to kind of fit into the schedule of production. It's a lot better now than where it started because before, you know, there was nothing and they're like, you're telling me what to do. And I'm like, yes, the challenges I have diminished over time because they see the importance of, you know, profiling, making sure we have consistent color. We've had customers come back because they said, hey, your color has improved. So, you know, knowing the importance of it is really key for any facility from an equipment side, you know, looking at how well our machines are performing, you know, which ones are not performing as well as they could. They're not mechanically uh, doing well right now. You know, we have one machine that's down because it needs maintenance. How often are we doing our preventive maintenance, our monthly, yearly? And then you start talking beyond that and then it suppresses. Are they being consistent? Are they consistent from the left side, the middle and the right side? Are they consistent on a day-to-day basis? How does that look? And then all that affects, you know, your color output. So it, it just exponentializes, like I said before, it exponentializes when you start getting the dice up versus a straight direct print. Now, I'm, I'm going to say this and I don't mean anything by it, but I mean, we all get color complaints or we wouldn't have a job, right? Oh, um, absolutely. <laughs> I mean, that's just what it, how it is. Mm-hmm. When you get color complaints from either internal or external customers, you know, what kind of complaints are you getting and how do you address them? So a lot of it, I come back to, I verify my profiles all the time. You know, I have a, I have a setup where it's on a biweekly basis. Um, it seems like a lot, but at least I can track it and I can see where we're headed. Um, the hardest part is actually, you know, if, when you have multiple facilities, making sure that their color matches your color or your color matches their color, depending on, you know, the project or, you know, our, uh, uh, we have a, a latex here. Our latex matches their UV. So you're going across plants and then different types of printing outputs, you know, where you have a dye sub that has to match uh, a UV print. So those are more of like the complaints that we'll see a lot more often. And there's sometimes where it's like the gamut of one machine doesn't match the other. And so there, that's part of the problem. If we know we're doing a job or if we're going to be doing several jobs that require that, 
sometimes you have to limit the gamut of one just so that it matches the other only for that project. You don't want to do that for everything because you want to maximize your gamut as a whole. But sometimes you have to bite the bullet and kind of dumb one down just so that way you can get through a major project. And then, you know, the client's happy at that point. So what, what kind of tools do you use? You mentioned, um, I think, I don't know if you use the word verification, but you said you're, you're looking at your profiles every couple of weeks. What kind of tools are you using to, to measure or evaluate? The reason I bring it up is Shelby mentioned, she just wrote an article about using a standardized test print, but I'm, I'm assuming these are measurements you're making. Yeah. So uh, I have several different tools that I use for Spectros. You know, I've got, I've got my baby, my uh, Barberry QB, which I know you love, the Ferrari. I use that to measure. I use, you know, Barbary Gateway as a measurement tool to feed things in. For verification, I use Spot On. It's just a great visual output to see where your colors are hitting. You know, you get your maps, you get your densities, you get, you know, visual matches, which is what I really use the most. So I can see visual matches between printers, between facilities, across, you know, different outputs. I do use ColorThink. I don't use it as much as I use Spot On. We use our RIP. Uh, it has a great output, uh, 3D rendering. So I use that to measure between different machines or uh, similar machines to see the gamut difference just from a visual side. And then, you know, I can bring in people and say, hey, this is what's going on. This is what I think we should do. You know, let's try to come up with a plan. And since we were talking about the environment, Mary, uh, what do you use? You said you're monitoring Las Vegas from afar. What tool do you use for that? Uh, we have uh, sensors. It's actually made for uh, monitoring wineries. And what it does is that it, it's, an, it's a website that you can go to. It's also an app. And basically, you can visually see a graph chart of what your actual environment is doing. Uh, it has both temperature and humidity, and I'm able to actually print out reports. I don't know the name offhand, but um, yeah, it's it's just a great tool. There's a lot of tools out there that measure that sort of stuff, and then you can just keep a log of it. Um, I have multiple Excel spreadsheets for it, and that's what I use. There's a lot of environmental tools out there. I was just curious. Here's a just basic question for you. What's your favorite thing about working in the dye sublimation industry? Oh, there's a lot. When I first got started, I was working actually with dye sublimation metal. And that was really fun because, it, you know, you get your print and it looks all, I don't want to say saturated because that's not the term that I want to use, but like, it just looks really light and it doesn't really have any life to it. And then you go to transfer it and all of a sudden now it's this new thing and it's like, it's really vibrant and saturated and, you know, you can do so many things with it. It's just fun to see print that you would think, like you wouldn't hang that print on your wall, but as soon as you transfer it, it's just like the coolest thing ever. With fabrics, some of the fabrics have like sheens to them and they just transform life differently. I don't know. I just, I just like the Daiso world. It's just really fascinating. It's a challenge by far, but it's really fascinating to see what you can do with it. Yeah. What I like about it is, you know, the limit is really what you can envision in your mind, you know, the creativity part. Oh, yeah. I mean, we're coming up with new products. I think we have like 40 or 50 new products we're trying to develop right now. It's just in insane the amount of things you can think of, you know, and uh, the biggest thing that we're going to see, I think, is uh, mostly personalization. Everyone wants their own unique item, kind of like how, you know, you make like photo books or you make 
a poster that you created. When you start getting a personalization, like when you can use like variable data to bring stuff in and then you have different images. I think that's really where the industry is going, uh, especially with Dysub, because then, hey, I got my own. This is mine. No one else has it. It's unique to you, even though it's like a process that's a manufacturer process. It's still a unique item, which is fun. So you think uh, this goes right into one of the questions at the end we were going to ask is trends that you see in dye sublimation industry by, so what um, you just said, you see a lot of web to print. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I think e-commerce is just going to blow up, Um, you know, customization, anything that you can do to customize your own uh, products or your own um, like items that you, you can send a customer, the more people are going to want something. I've seen some weird things, especially in my last company that I was with. Uh, There's some things I wouldn't put on my wall, but a lot of people bought it. So, I mean, it's just, it's literally limitless. Like we were saying, it's whatever you can think of or create. You can probably find out how to make it. It's just a matter of time and a little bit of R&D. So Mary, before the pandemic, I know that Tectonic's probably biggest business, maybe not your only, but your biggest business was like trade show displays and environmental, you know, displays of some kind or another. And it sounds like during the, the last year, you guys have made a transition that many Daiso printers who are still in business and doing well did. And that's obviously there's not a lot of that to be made right now. So you're, you're making these much smaller products on equipment that is scaled for very, very big products. Does that add any challenges? Oh, Yeah. <laughs> You know, some of these machines are meant to, you know, do thousands and thousands and thousands of feet in like minutes. So, you know, doing a one-off, it's really difficult. It's like you have to take it off and it's like, you know, this one bar weighs like 50 pounds and then you got to take that off for one little print. So we had challenges coming in like, okay, how do we get this to work for the biggest capacity that we can? How do we make the equipment to... Um, be able to do what we need in the amount of time that we need it. You know, these aren't, they are fast machines, but they're meant for like long runs. They're not meant for short. So it's a lot more startup, start, shut down system operationally. And that is actually a challenge in and of itself. So how do we keep the printer running? How do we keep the ink flowing through as the best that we can? How do we utilize one machine based on this output? How do we utilize this machine based on that output? Because this one would be better suited. Yeah. So we went through and just like knocked everything down and said, okay, this is what we're looking at. We put it up on a whiteboard and we said, okay, now how can we use it? So now we're actually bringing new equipment for newer stuff, you know, more easy one-offs, a little bit smaller printers. I say smaller, they're still large format, but it's small for us. So, you know, looking at, okay, what's out there, what's equipment wise, you know, how can we utilize currently what we have and then how can we build on top of that so it's it's a challenge that's for sure but I mean somehow we figured out a way to do it so I'm going to ask you one last question Mary and then you can ask us anything what's your favorite color and why I hate this answer I hate this question um (laughs) no 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 it's a good thing it's because I've had to think about it so I've never actually had a favorite color and as a color manager everyone asks this question And, you know, I finally boiled it down. I've actually boiled it down within this last year. And I'm very specific because as you both know me, I'm a very specific person. Um, So it's a 1957 Chevy Bel Air mint green. It is like specifically like that 50s mint green that I absolutely love. And I uh, can totally envision that. (laughs) I 
I can too. I mean, that's we've. I don't know what order we'll play these in, but the the last two we've recorded have both been really good answers. This is this yeah, is getting fun. I was I was starting to wonder about this question, but it's getting better. <laughs> <laughs> we've gotten really hard to ask a color manager that question, though. <laughs> Was that? So it's hard to ask the color manager that question because that's all we look at. Right. <laughs> that is tough. Uh, so we're at the end of the podcast and you can ask us pretty much almost anything. Um, you know, I've listened to the other podcasts and it's brought a great insight um, into, you know, the Dyson world and what our current you know world is like the, the state that we're in uh, for you guys as consultants. Um, Cause like I'm here at, like on a daily basis, like I'm doing it on at, at the same facility every time. What's your biggest challenge going from a different, like different facilities and like knowing, you know, different rips and knowing different um, processes to do. So the funny part of the answer, but the true part is, you know, the first day is always the hardest day. And again, this is, I mean, I, it's going to sound funny, but it's the truth. I mean, you got to figure out where the bathroom is. You got to figure out where to get water. Um, you know, where does the coffee, uh, where can I go in the plant? Where can't I go in the plant? Um, who's actually going to be able to help me and who's going to probably quite honestly be a distraction from the work I'm there to do. Um, and so those things, which have absolutely, by the way, nothing to do with, with color, and really the question you ask can be some of the most challenging things during the first day on site and, and really during the first three, four hours. I also, I also have my funny, my question to kind of lighten the, the mood when I show up. And it's like, you know, once, once I've figured out a couple of things, I look at them, I go, now let's talk about what's important. What's for lunch. Um, you know, <laughs> I, think I remember you asking me that question. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I'll do that at like nine o'clock in the morning, just to make it clear. I'm taking, it's really to make it clear. I'm taking lunch um, because I know a lot of guys will work through lunch and I'm, that doesn't work well for Shelby or I, um, I'm speaking for her, but I know her well enough to know that it, that does not work well for either one of us. You end up with a hangry person and, and that, that ends badly. Um, so, but we always make sure we have granola bars and stuff like that. So that's, that's kind of the funny yet practical part of the answer. Um, the other part is I think, and you know, Shelby jump in, it's do your homework. Um, if I'm going, so the last I think it was the last onsite. I lose track now. A very recent onsite was with the rip you use, Caldera. Uh, and I had not done any hands-on work with Caldera in probably two or three months at that point. And so I deleted the version that was on my computer. I reloaded the most current version, which is what we were going to be working with. And I spent an hour, hour and a half just clicking around and familiarizing myself with the interface because if you don't use it on a daily basis like you do, it's hard, it's hard to find things in any rip. You just you have to remember where is everything. It comes back quickly, but if it's been a couple, three months and you've worked with five other rips in between, um, it's challenging. Um, just the rip itself. Um, let me think what else is important. Instrumentation, right? Do they have their own or are we bringing ours? Um, we always bring ours. We've learned that lesson. Right. But we may use theirs if they have it. Um, but it, honestly, it's, 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 I think Shelby's right. 90, 90 to 95% of the time we're, we're plugging in whatever instruments we brought along. Um, and then printers. Oh my God, printers. Uh, I forgot about this one. Yeah. I mean, it, it's just, you know, I love, 
you ask him, okay, did you do a nozzle check this morning? Yeah, here it is. Okay, we're just going to do another one. No, 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 we did. I said, we're just going to do another one. And it's amazing how often you do another one. And it's pretty clear the one they showed you wasn't from the morning or, or something really strange happened in the 30 minutes since they did it and we got there. So I always find that curious and it happens more often than you would think, you know, so then you have to do a, you know, you have to do a nozzle clean and, you know, just, you know how this stuff all just takes time. And so when we go in, you know, people have this expectation that we're just going to crank out profiles and, and on day two and day three, we can, you know, a lot of times we'll go into a place and on day one, we're lucky to get one to maybe two profiles done in eight hours. And on day two or three, you know, I've been in places where on day three, we get six done. Because we just we have an operator who knows exactly what what we need from them. Um, we have a piece of equipment that's just you know it's a fast piece of equipment. It's a fast rip computer. Um, it's a, it's a one of the rips that happens to have a good color management engine and it's easy to make profiles on. And so you know I think my record is six. We cranked out six in one day. And but that's that's rare. I mean really, I think four is about the most you can expect once things are are up and running. But never never are you going to get four on day one. I mean that's just that's never going to happen. There's just too much, too much else that has to happen and too much understanding that has to occur. Um, so I don't, I don't know if that actually answered your question completely or not, but that's. I can chime in a little bit too. Um, you know, I kind of have two answers to this too. And, you know, while, you know, all those things that Jim mentioned, you know, where you're working and knowing where you can be and so on and so forth. I mean, even to the point of, you know, we like to take, pictures of what we're doing. Are they comfortable with that? Can we share it on social media? But really, you know, also, I think it's important that face-to-face, in-person, um, building relationships. Uh, and because I tell you what, they will, if you can build a personal relationship with your clients, when you're coming into their facility to profile, you know, I mean, you don't work there every day, you don't, you know, you don't know what they do when they're not there. You don't know how things work in their facility. But if you build a relationship, they're gonna share how things are going. They're really going to be honest with you. And you know, if if that's, you know, even if they're not the person, if you're working with someone who actually didn't even hire us to come in, they'll be honest with you and say, here's where we're really having trouble. And I find that if I have a little corner of the room where I can set up my computer and kind of observe what's going on, because a lot of what I do when I'm there, not that I don't do some profiling work, especially if Jim's working on a different project, I do like what we call an end of action report. And I'm basically dictating, you know, in Microsoft Word, what's going on day by day. And in the profiling world, Jim's right. You know, when we get there, I just, I don't even get mad. I just expect that we're going to have some kind of issues. It might be with the printer, it might be with the rip, or we may need to update the rip or, you know, that first day is getting through the weeds. Basically, we're trying to figure out, you know, I'm actually really happy if we get a profile the first day, you know, if that's what we get done, I feel really good about it. People ask before we come in, you know, how long is it going to take you to do a profile? Well, that depends on a lot of things. You know, it, you know, if they're in the middle of production, you know, if we're there on a day that they're doing production, do we have to wait for that printer to get through some production before we can print a chart to measure? I don't know. Yeah, I'm, it's great when they can dedicate that printer just to the profiling we're supposed to be doing that day, but that doesn't always happen. You know, so there's all these variables. And I think just going in with the mindset that, you know, 
we we'll get done what we can get done and don't get mad when things go wrong. You know, we knock on wood all the time, but uh, you know, would you agree, Jim? I would absolutely agree with you always, but I would actually agree with you for real this time. Funny. <laughs> so Mary, um, if that answer is good for you, uh, where can our listeners find you, uh, you and or Tectonics online? Uh, we, we have a website and it's tectonics.com. Um, you can find all of our social media if you just search tectonics. Uh, I know we're on LinkedIn and some other places. So yeah, come take a look. Okay. And I'm going to do one thing we normally don't do. Um, since I believe we're going to, we're going to drop this episode, um, probably a week from today on Friday, the 12th of February. Um, just so everyone knows, 10 days from then, on the 22nd of February, we are going to be doing um, one of our uh, online Printing United Alliance color management boot camps. Uh, it will run over five days, a couple hours a day. And we will, in the show notes for this one, we will put a link, but you can always go to the Colorcasters website and go to the events page and you should be able to find uh, information about any of our boot camps. Marriott did attend one of those. Um, and as we, as we kind of covered earlier on, um, I, I think Mary would agree. It's been a, it was a good experience for her and, and it's helped her advance her career and also more importantly, her knowledge of color. Absolutely. I would totally vouch for that. Um, even if you do have experience with color management, like I did, you still learn a lot more. It's, it's great. It's a great experience. All right. Well, that's all I've got. Shelby, yeah. anything you want to add? Nope. I just want to say thank you, Mary, for joining us. We really appreciate it. Absolutely. Thank you. Mary. Thank you for having me. You're welcome. All right. Bye, everyone.